You're listening to the Players Podcast, brought to you by International Rugby Players. Welcome to the Players Podcast, brought to you by International Rugby Players. Today's guest is Blaine Scully. Hailing from Sacramento, California, Blaine was late to the game of rugby, playing water polo and swimming before getting into rugby at UCLA and Berkeley, before moving to the UK, where he played with Leicester and currently playing with the Cardiff Blues in Wales. Blaine has played for the USA at the Rugby World Cup in 2011 and 2015, before captaining the Eagles and then recording a historic win against Scotland, America's first win over so-called Tier 1 opposition in June 2018. Blaine is also very interested in the growth of the game in the USA and serves as the chairman of the US Rugby Players Association and doesn't really like the term Tier 2. Blaine sat down with me at headquarters here in Dublin and I started by asking him how rugby was doing in the States and how it's been getting the Players Association off the ground. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, we're very much in a startup phase. Um, you know, rugby in the United States is um, professionalizing in a lot of different ways, and it's something we've talked about for a long time. And um, having a players' association, someone to represent the players um, and speak for the players um, from the players, and and really that's kind of been, always been our objective is to, you know, how can we maximize. The player experience how can we support the players on and off the field um now that rugby has moved into full-time daily training environments we have our first professional league and, and a lot of our national team players um play more than they ever had before so really you know something that you know truly passionate about is is and some, my mindset is try to be as positive as i i personally can be on and off the field and supporting not only myself, but my teammates and my country, which is something I'm hugely passionate about. So, you know, anything we can do to improve performance on the field, improve performance after rugby and, and giving a pathway both to the national team and then once people retire from, from wearing the jersey. Before we go on with more Players Association business, tell me a bit about yourself. I know you're from the West Coast. You didn't get into rugby as a kid as would be normal in a lot of the traditional unions. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm from Sacramento, California, um, which is actually the capital. Most people assume it's San Francisco or L.A. I didn't know that. Um, yeah, right, there, there you go. go. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I started rugby 18 years old um, in college, um, although I went to a rugby playing high school, a Jesuit high school in Sacramento, which perennial national champions. They produce a lot of college um, uh, rugby players and a lot of national team rugby players. And um, so funny enough, I drove by the rugby field on my way ever in the school every day. Um, but yeah, I picked it up as a college freshman at UCLA and and uh, it was the game I was supposed to play all along. Um, ended up transferring to Cal and that's kind of really what, you know, laid the found, uh, foundation and, and groundwork for my life as a professional. Now you're over this part of the world playing with the Cardiff Blues. Um, when you speak to non-rugby people and you tell them that uh, you're a US international, do they go, wow, I didn't know rugby was big over there? Or, or is the question, how is rugby going to grow? How do you see yourself becoming a tier one nation over there? What, what, what do you think, I suppose, is that the question, first of all? And do you think it will eventually become a, a national sport the way it is in, you know, um, Wales or, or New Zealand or, or other parts of the world? 
Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, it probably depends on who I'm talking to. Some people are are very aware of kind of the global rugby landscape and where kind of countries fit along the way. And so they're like, oh, you guys are doing really well. Can you tell us how everything's going there? And, and or, you know, I, I didn't know that rug, USA had a rugby team and I thought it was just NFL. Um, so the, you know, the conversation kind of varies. And, you know, I think as a, as a sport in the United States, we're definitely growing. You know, we're one of the fastest growing youth sports. We are on a, a lot of college campuses. We've just introduced our new professional competition, which is fantastic development. Um, you know, that being said, it's a highly competitive sporting landscape. You know, there's a lot of options for kids growing up and there's a lot of aspirational model to play in the football and get a college scholarship. Um, you know, that's, that's whether you're NFL, American football player, NBA, major league baseball, you know, MLS has grown exponentially. Um, you know, so there's, there's no shortage of options. You know, I think rugby is a unique game and there's so much, um, value that rugby can provide to kids in 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 the United States, and it, for us, I think it's it's giving that giving that young athlete the opportunity to make a decision that they want to be a rugby player, and then providing meaningful growth and competition opportunity along the way, and and all the while providing an aspirational model is like I want to be like that someday. Yeah, you know. I wonder. I remember. I'm old enough to remember USA '94, the Soccer World Cup came there, and Vox Pops on the street, and people. Yeah not only didn't know that the soccer world cup was in town but didn't know what soccer is and now you know 20 30 years later mls is huge and david beckham came over and and many other big names joined that league mlr has recently kicked off or is getting underway in in the states do you think it can grow in the same way as mls and maybe compete with major sports like that i think you know rugby um has become more visible for a couple different reasons Rugby in the Olympics was in the Olympic conclusion was really a big thing for us really, because yeah. it validated the game in a lot of different what levels. Sure. Um, the seven teams had some success, which has been great, winning a couple of tournaments. Again, you know, any attention for the right reasons, namely winning global term competitions. Um, our women have been competitive, and you know, we recently uh, had a victory over Scotland, which is which is a real positive development for us, and we're continuing to work to push push ourselves forward. Um, and then obviously the Sevens World Cup in, in San Francisco, which is, again, another exposure opportunity for us. So, you know, I think there is um, opportunity in the United States, whether that's as competing on the same level as NFL and NBA. I don't know. That's, yeah. that's, a, that's a big jump. And, but that being, it's, a, it's a population of 300 million people who are all avid sports fans. And yeah. we crave competition no matter what it is. And I think... You know, going back to our, what we talked about in the last question, it's, you know, how can we create those um, exposure moments to uh, expose the game to to fan, potential fans um, and then creating an aspirational model that people want to play and engage in the sport with? Because I know a lot of administrators in, in the, I suppose, over this side of the world look at the U.S. and say, wow, if we just got 1% of that market, you know, I'm sure you can can kind of see the negatives in in uh, trying to crack inverted commas the U.S. market. Yeah, I, I mean it's a it's a real interesting question, and I know a lot of people around the world are asking it. And you know, I think from our perspective, it's it's got to be a solution based on the game. You know, based on rugby. Mm. Um, you know, I think isolated commercial conversations, you know, in context are important. But you know, how do you grow the game at 
at the youth level? How do you create a fan for life? And then, you know, how do you touch people who are fans of football, fans of basketball, fans of baseball? How do you create fans out of those? And then what do you give them to, uh, uh, what do you give them as far as where can they see your game? How can they buy tickets? You know, and, and so I think a lot of, you know, the, our challenges is, you know, obviously we're a, a big geographic country um, and we're a smaller union, we're a smaller sport and typically rugby has been popular in isolated pockets throughout the country. So how can we connect all the different pockets? How do we con- connect all the various stakeholders in the game within the United States? How do we create an alliance strategy that, you know, grows the game for everyone? And, you know, that's probably our biggest challenge. And, and I know that there's a lot of people around the world who are looking at how they can potentially aid that solution to create, um, a market and expose a business opportunity. And, and I, I mean, I think those are all good conversation to have because, you know, the game is needs to grow and for that there, there requires investment. But, you know, I think it fundamentally needs to be attached to a larger strategic vision that, sure. you know, how do we grow the game? So, you know, everyone can kind of share in that growth, whether that's from an exposure point of view, commercial point of view, or just creating more fans. You mentioned earlier, and I thought it was a great point. You said rugby not just in the States, obviously, but international rugby is at a crossroads now. Did you mean that in a kind of negative way or in a positive way? Or how do you see it, especially kind of coming from, you know, your angle where you're from the States and you're playing in Europe and you have a good uh, vision or you have a good view of what's happening in international rugby. What did you mean by that in, in the sense that it's at a crossroads right now? Yeah, I think you look around, you know, leagues and sports in general, they typically go through an evolutionary process. And usually that's through a lot of different, for a lot of different reasons. Um, you look at the NFL and how many different evolutions they've gone through, whether it's collective bargaining agreements, whether it's big time TV contracts, um, you know, whether it's figuring out the dynamic between young athletes and free agents and, you know, labor and commercial, all that stuff. And, but you, but you look at our game and where we're at is we've only been professional for a short space of time relative to a lot of different leagues in the world. And most of our systems and structures are effectively amateur era models adapted for professionalism. Yeah. And, you know, we have, um, now a lot of different, um, stakeholders in the game, whether they're unions, whether they're entrepreneurs, whether they're, you know, new leagues and, and, or world rugby and established competitions. And, you know, how do, how do we fit all the different pieces together? And, and, you know, there's a lot of a lot of challenges there. So, you know, when I say the game's at a crossroads, it's kind of, you know, what does our next evolution phase look like um, from a competition standpoint, from a broadcast standpoint, from a international versus club, um, you know, competition standpoint. And and so there's a lot of interesting questions there. And and how do you grow grow the game, maintain relevancy, and because it's a it's a very competitive sporting landscape across the globe, whether you're in the NFL, the NBA, soccer, um, and, sure. and, and and I suppose from from your point of view, um, and I hate using the term, but you, you, USA are a tier two nation in rugby terms. I think when we use tier two, people think of yeah. you know Fiji, Samoa, Tonga, maybe Georgia, Romania, but USA are kind of in that market as well, in that in that grouping. And I suppose when I ask you about how you view rugby you probably want to get more games for the for the usa more meaningful and more competitive matches as well yeah well i and you know kind of on that point it's, it's something that i i choose not to accept accept yeah sure. I, I don't buy into the tier one tier two uh classification really because i think it's you know, outdated now yeah isn't well it? I, I think you know that 
there's there's nothing about my teammates or my attitude that's second class you know we we pride ourselves on being as professional as we can be and and competing as hard as we can no matter what competition we're in so you know for us you know we we think and we feel we can compete on any on any given day with anybody so um you know i i think from from that perspective it's it's to what what you just mentioned it's you know how do we create the most meaningful competition Mm -hmm. um that is uh inclusive of player welfare concerns inclusive of commercial concerns and 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 just growing the game you know there's there's a lot of different factors that we need to fill in and and build into creating you know solutions that really are probably going to lead the next evolution of rugby moving forward looking back a second um you guys had a great uh june window with a historic win over scotland take us through that because that was obviously um a turning point for for usa rugby yeah, no, I mean it's uh, it was a lot of um, it was a, it was a great day to share for a lot of different reasons. Um, you know, one that we're p- proud of as a team. Um, you know, and we, we think the Scots are a class team, and and we wish them all the best in, in their World Cup preparations. We think that they'll do really well. Um, but I think it was a really cool opportunity for us to share something as a country. You know, something that we've been knocking on the door at for a long time and kind of been on the other side of that quite a few times as well so of course yeah. it was nice to finally get the result but I, I think probably the most pleasing thing is is you know what the national team um is starting to build and and our teams across the board are starting to build it's 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 this you know we can compete with anybody type of mindset so but i'd imagine you know when you're in a team and you're trying to get results and and you're constantly you know talking about being able to beat teams it doesn't happen and then suddenly it does it must be the greatest confidence boost uh for for not just players but management um the union and fans yeah, I, I think there definitely is a validation there that that you get. Um, but I mean, just competitive. The reality is, competitive sport is what are you going to do next? You know, that's that's always okay, the, the biggest yeah, challenge. Yeah. Where it's like, great, you can enjoy that moment for the moment it is. Sure, but you have to chase the next one, and that's that's kind of the 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 the, the true challenge of of sport is you know. You, can never rest on what you've done it's always about what you're going to do next you, you can know? enjoy so it when you're retired or well whatever. i mean we definitely had uh, enjoyed that uh, that night and we just kind of enjoyed our each other's company more than anything else and just you know sharing that as a as an intimate team moment and we shared it with our friends and family and and other people in the usa rugby community but it's about creating the next moment you know how can we chase that next moment in order to get to the next the next stop that we want to get to on the climb from a Rugby World Cup 2019 perspective, would you, as a team, benefit more from, from being together more or would competitive matches do it for you guys? Or what's, what is it you need? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I, it's, it's kind of the challenge of international rugby a little bit in the sense that it can be intermittent. You know what mm. I mean? You're only together in different assemblies in different periods of time throughout the year. So, you know, the main thing for us is continue to stay connected as we can throughout the year. Um, you know, so that's, you know, the ARC has been a great evolution for us and the American Rugby Championship and being having more games together, more time together to build our unique team culture, our relationships with one another and, and connect with our coaches. And, and so that's always kind of been, you know, our mindset and, and our challenge in a way is, you know, how can we be as connected as a group possible, um, continue to build the relationships that we require on and off the field in order to be a good team. Mm-hmm. 
you, sorry to interrupt, but you mentioned the ARC there, the yeah. America's Rugby Championship. Has that been as beneficial as you know some of the press releases would suggest? I mean, that time together, the, but but even the competition with uh, some of the South American teams has that been beneficial for USA? Yeah, I think so. I, I think it's and it's and it's added to you know the sport that a lot of our our athletes now are in the MLR and getting day in and day out training and full time training environments, and so you. you you add in the MLR and then our ability to have another five internationals a year. And, um, you know, that's more time together. That's more time getting the reps we require in order to be as competitive as you can when, when our opportunity to play some of the best teams in the world arises. Sure. Um, going back to you for a minute, uh, you mentioned earlier, 30 years old, uh, you've been playing rugby for, uh, what, 10 years now? Yeah. Well, 12 years when I first started, but yeah. Yeah. What, what do you think? Obviously you're very interested in, in the administration of the game and, uh, it's something, uh, you're, you're getting very involved with, with the, uh, USA players association. Is that something you'd like to continue afterwards? Will you do that in the States? Will you stay in Europe or, or have you given much thought to the transition? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it's one of us all, um, when we all athletes kind of dread a little bit, but at the same time, it's, it's another challenge. And, you know, I, I, I think it's exciting, really. You know, I've always been a learner. Um, I um, I enjoy learning, and I enjoy trying to challenge myself to grow and um, understand as much as I can. And, you know, I think it's one of the, the real interesting things that, you know, athletes kind of learn is a little bit of a transition when you just grow up playing sports and you're just an athlete and, and you're just a rugby player, and then all of a sudden you get to the business end of the sport where you negotiate your first contract, and then you get exposed to a different world that you never really knew existed outside of, you know, just showing up to training and getting coached up and trying to play on Saturday, you know, and then as your career goes on, you get exposed to more and more of the business side of the game. And, you know, I've always kind of been fascinated and trying to understand because part of that is, is not disconnected, I think, from what happens on the field and kind of trying to build uh, a package of understanding from an athlete's perspective of, you know, understanding what goes into a professional environment, how, um, a club operates, how the leagues operate, how that works with broadcasters, sponsors, and partners. And, you know, part of that is, I think, you know, from my perspective, um, fundamental in your ability to, to go and articulate your position on a certain thing when representing the players as well. So, you know, understanding of your current platform, understanding of the landscape allows you to then come from an informed position when you're having conversations, um, with, you know, leagues or team owners or CEOs or partners and sponsors that are trying to get in the game. Um, You know, it's really, it's a really important thing, I think, for an athlete to understand. So you're not going to that meeting as, as uh, just an athlete, you're going in as a, as a valued stakeholder in the business of the game. And would you like to see more players be a bit more into the, into the administration side of it, understand what's going on more and more? Yeah, I mean, it's just a real challenge. You know, obviously, from an athlete's perspective, yeah, you have the pressure of performance week in and week out. Yeah. So it's being able to manage your your requirements as a professional athlete, um, you know, continue to learn and grow your own knowledge of the business of the game. And then also, you know, being willing to have, in some cases, challenging conversations with, you know, different people on on what that looks like and what that means from your perspective. You know, it's just not an easy thing to do for any athlete. So, you know, that's why I think players associations provide such a valuable role in the business of the game because, you know, it's the connection between athletes and and 
the business side, yeah. whether it's World Rugby, whether it's um, Pro 14, whether it's USA Rugby, whoever it is. Like it's an important conduit that exists in order for the players to be heard because you know it's it's the players have a pretty big job focusing on how to to be the best version of themselves on on Saturday. Jonathan Evans floats it over the top, bounces into the hands of Scully. Oh, great finish. Great finish from Blaine Scully. Blaine, a few quick questions before we finish some rapid fire. Your top three toughest individuals to play against. It's a tough one. I know he just recently retired, but uh, I think probably that I have just so much respect for who he was as a, as a player at Easton and Thewa. He was a phenomenal player, um, and obviously he was a great captain for Leinster and just unbelievable rugby player. You know, probably one of the toughest games I've ever played in was was the match against the All Blacks in 2014. So, you know, probably just say their team captain, Kieran Reed, and um, I've gone against some pretty big wingers in my day. But Namani Nadolo stands out. When I played, <laughs> he stands we played out Fiji <laughs> and a couple of years ago. Um, so, yeah, those are probably three of of the toughest. Three top players you've played with. Uh, I'd say Chris Wallace is up there for me. Um, he was a longtime USA teammate of mine and then um, great, one of the Saracen greats, um, hugely successful in his career and just recently retired. I'd say Tom Young's uh, hooker for Leicester Tigers, um, yeah. just one of the toughest guys I've ever played with. Incredibly tough. Um, great teammate as well. Um, third one, again, another Leicester teammate would be Brad Thorne. Um, you know, he was over for a year, kind of one of the last games, uh, last his last professional season. So Lester and we got to be pretty good, pretty good mates, and uh, he's just a heck of an individual. I've always wondered about Brad Thorne because I've heard so many people like yourself say, uh, in the short time they played with him, especially here in Europe, he taught them an awful lot. Yeah, well, he he's he's um, one of the greats, I think, and and a lot of different reasons, not just on the field, but off the field, his training, the way how seriously he took his training. He's a very team-oriented man. He knows and understands what it means to be a teammate. Um, and he's he's a family man as well. So, you know, very faith-based, and, and he's just he's just a, a great, great rugby man. Give me a coach that really inspired you over your career. Uh, it's pretty easy for me. Um, my uh, mentor is Coach Tom Billups. He's uh, University of California Berkeley coach, my college coach, and he's kind of been a mentor of mine for really my entire professional career. He um, was one of the first Americans to play overseas. He he uh, played at Harlequins and had a couple of years in Wales as well. Um, national team captain, national team coach, um, and then coach at Cal for 20 years now. Um, and he's been with me pretty much every step of the way as far as journey and and just being a continual resource for me and, and providing mentorship when I needed it. So, um, yeah, that's, that's probably the easiest question I've had all day. Blaine, great to chat to you, mate. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. You're listening to The Players Podcast. Log on to rugbyplayers.org for more. Yes, indeed, Mike. Thanks to Blaine Scully for joining us here in International Rugby Players HQs in Dublin. And of course, you can read more about Blaine and his thoughts on our website, rugbyplayers.org. You've been listening to the Players Podcast, brought to you by International Rugby Players. I'm Owen McHugh, and you can follow us on social media or visit rugbyplayers.org for more. <laughs>